Hello, I'm Jason Rubin of the Movie Mavericks Podcast. Welcome to a special summer show. Every Friday, I'll be taking a look back to the summer of 1999. This was a box office season that was amongst the most competitive and influential in moviegoing history. On each show, I'll be chronicling the performance, critical response, and historical relevance of the biggest hits and the costliest misfires that shaped the summer of 1999. Episode 1, The Run-Up to the Season. Our first film is The Matrix. Human beings are a disease, and we are the cure. Now. So you're here to save the world. Everything you know about reality. So what do you need? Guns. Lots of guns. Everything you believe about the future. Buckle your seatbelt, Dorothy, because Kansas is going bye-bye. Will be a thing of the past. No one can be told what the Matrix is. Whoa. You have to see it for yourself. The Matrix. Without a doubt, the most anticipated movie of the summer of 1999 was The Phantom Menace. The promotional machine for the new Star Wars installment, the first in 16 years, had begun a year before. A trailer that premiered in November of 1998 saw patrons buying tickets to see the preview on the big screen and then promptly walking out. So, if you had asked the average moviegoer what sci-fi movie would revolutionize the genre and become an instant classic, all would have predicted the latest from George Lucas and his ILM colleagues would deliver. It was by that standard that allowed The Matrix to become the sleeper hit of the year, and arguably the most influential movie of the next 10 years. The Wachowski's little movie became an instant classic and spawned a billion dollar franchise. At year's end, Phantom Menace was the butt of late night talk show jokes, and The Matrix was the coolest thing to come out of Hollywood since Pulp Fiction. If anyone had foreseen the potential success of The Matrix, they surely would have dated the film in a prime summer position. Instead, it debuted in April and legged out to $175 million domestically. Hard to imagine it would have fared any better in the ultra-competitive summer season of 1999. The Matrix would lead to three sequels of varying degree, the latest of which premiered as recently as 2021. It cemented Keanu Reeves as an action icon and leading man and introduced the world in mass to the unique filmmaking sensibilities of the Wachowski siblings. However you may feel about The Matrix today, there is no denying that it overtook pop culture for years. The mind-blowing experience of seeing it with an audience in a theater has rarely been matched since. I'm Joel Siegel, film critic on ABC's Good Morning America. Thanks, Roger, for inviting me. And welcome to the balcony. Our first movie is a flat-out roller coaster ride of special effects known as The Matrix. The storyline is murky. The characters are basically cartoons, but visually, this movie is state-of-the-art. The movie stars Keanu Reeves as a computer hacker named Neo, who is recruited by agents of an underground rebellion against The Matrix, which is an intelligent computer program that has enslaved mankind. The martial arts scenes in the movie were choreographed by the famous Hong Kong action director, Wo Ping. The directors, Larry and Andy Wachowski, use every trick in the book. Animation, models, optical process shots, all blended together seamlessly. If the special effects in The Matrix are sensationally good, the story is kind of a letdown. That's surprising for the Wachowski brothers, whose first film, Bound, 
had an ingenious and airtight script, it was on my best 10 list. Still, as pure action and visual extravaganza, it's pretty amazing. I liked it, and I give it a thumbs up. I almost agree. I was surprised at what they were trying to do. We have a character called the Chosen One. You have uh -huh. a character called Trinity. You have an idea that reality may exist only in our minds, uh -huh. kind of a solipsistic idea. And although I didn't like the way the story paid off, I appreciate the fact that they were trying to be intelligent. So you think it has more of a screenplay than I do? That well, it, I, I think they were trying to get it. The fact that they didn't succeed, is it fair for us? And we spent all, you know, years and years fetching, oh, these movies are just ridiculous, there's no thought behind it. Here they're trying to say something. If they don't yeah, succeed, can, should we get them for that? I can see your point. Uh, I, see, I really loved Dark City so much last year, which really did deal with the implications mm -hmm. of that strange world that the aliens had created. And here we have the same kind of thing, where a, a fictional world has been brought out of nowhere and people believe it's real. And I felt it didn't bring me enough about it. But on the other hand, I like The Matrix just to look at it, just to sit there and look at it. That was, that was okay with me. Our next film is Entrapment. He's unstoppable. We sent a couple of guys after him, and these were both good agents. They were both men. She's irresistible. Has there ever been anyone you couldn't seduce? No. The only thing more dangerous than their plan, you change partners, you change rules, is being partners. You're playing both sides. Sean Connery, Catherine Zeta-Jones, Bing Reigns. <laughs> Entrapment. Former James Bond, Sean Connery, returns as a cat burglar in this action thriller. The film opened well with 20 million and would prove to be Connery's last box office hit before retiring from the screen in 2004. Although it could be argued that the movie is remembered more for being the picture that introduced starlet Catherine Zeta-Jones to mainstream audiences. Entrapment had a great marketing campaign that played up the sexy Jones and the aging but still suave Connery in a heist caper that was lightweight and entertaining. While it's an admittedly silly piece of popcorn cinema, I do recall really enjoying it when I saw it during its opening weekend. I have attempted to watch it again a few times in the two decades since, and I always find myself turning it off midway or so because frankly, it's dull. I guess this was a case of a movie working well on the big screen. And when I saw it presented on home media, it exposed the smallness and the film's weaknesses. It does serve as proof of two things. One, Sean Connery was still a commanding leading man. And it's a shame some of his lesser known work never got the credit it deserved. I'm specifically talking about The Hill. And it proved that Catherine Zeta-Jones was a movie star and one of the great screen beauties of the era, or any era for that matter. Our last film. Is life. The Mississippi State Prison has never been fun, but all of that is about to change. Life! No! You mean like hell? No, I ain't doing no life. Hey, boss, he ain't working. I blame you for everything. You gonna eat your cornbread? You can't have my cornbread because I'm from New York City. This April, they're getting all there hey, is. I see you in New York City. Oh. Out of <laughs> life. Rated R. Starts Friday, April 16th at theaters everywhere. The late 1990s saw the glorious return to form for box office titan Eddie Murphy. 
he was desperately in need of a hit when 1996 The Nutty Professor popped up and became one of the highest grossing films of that summer. He followed it with the underrated action comedy Metro and the kiddie flick Dr. Doolittle. Life paired the star with fellow comedian Martin Lawrence in a drama comedy set at a southern prison during the 1920s. Not the stuff that laughs are made of. Murphy, Lawrence, and the hardworking supporting cast give it their all, and the result is a mixed bag. There are very amusing passages and interactions, but the sadness of the story and their underlying themes are too heavy for a comedy. While I'm glad it exists, it's hard to think that this project would have been made if these two stars wouldn't have been attached. After a robust opening weekend of 20 million, the film would lose momentum quickly and total at 64 million, a respectable but somewhat underwhelming result when considering the talent involved in the marketing Universal Pictures put behind its launch. Lawrence would finish 1999 with the sleeper hit Blue Streak, and Murphy would follow up this with The Nutty Professor 2 and Dr. Doolittle 2, both of which were massive successes. Life is a bittersweet movie. It has a happy ending, but it's hard not to consider that the two lead characters have suffered decades of false imprisonment. The fact these characters are played by the immensely likable Eddie Murphy and Martin Lawrence make this an even more uncomfortable experience. That'll do it for today's show. Thank you for joining me and check back next week when we take a look at The Phantom Menace, The Mummy, and The Love Letter.